This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing Mastery. We uh, have a great interview for you today. The gentleman's name is Matt Andrews from Florida, and uh, he's a marketing real estate rock star doing some amazing things, and I really can't wait. I got my pen and paper out here ready to take notes, but I know we're going to learn a lot from Matt today. But I also got the uh, one and only Alex, Alex Youngblood. He's actually the real star of the show, Alex <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you doing? Real good. Real good, man. I've been um, sending a lot of direct mail lately. I'm happy with the responses. I've been calling um, pendings lately as well. How's Realtors, that been going? Really good. Um, I've not done a deal yet, but I've, I'm just less than a week into it. The, uh, the feedback from the realtors is really positive, and I can't tell you how many times – well, let's see. I've, I've talked to maybe 10 realtors or less – um, just asking them, hey, you know, if you're if you're the house that's pending falls through, escrow, uh, call me, I'll buy it, right? Hmm. And I'll let you represent me. And um, the realtors' feedback is very positive, and they're excited about that. And I've had several realtors, at least, I'd say 30, 40 percent of them, will tell me this. Well, you know, it's interesting that you called. I have another couple properties that you'll be interested in. They're fixer uppers, and they've not hit the MLS yet. Um, but I'm going to be putting them on the market in about a week or two. Um, send me your email, and I'll send you some information on them. Yeah, I figured you'd probably get stuff like that. I mean, because, well, I, a lot of times you get a multiple offer situation, I would assume, you know, from uh, from what's going on with, uh, you know, when a hot property hits the market and you're like, hey, if this thing falls through, give me a call. But you would think they'd be like, well, I'll just go to the last uh, eight offers that I got and pick the next best one from there. No, so. no. Well, this is how it works, though. Um, I tell the realtor, hey, I'll let you represent me. So they'll get both sides of the commission now. All right. right. And the way, because I asked a realtor this specific question yesterday. And I said, he said, well, we got a bunch of offers already on the house if this one doesn't fall through. And I said, well, how does this work? You know, when this was on the market, and you you got eight offers on it, and you accepted one. What happened to those other seven? Are they still valid anymore? And he said, well, no, I guess not. I said, well, so if you have to relist the market, if you have to relist the house on the MLS, those other previous contracts aren't valid anymore, are they? And he said, no. And I said, well, listen, just call me first before you relist it, and I'll make so you that, an offer. Yeah, that would be the way to do it, yeah. So, I mean, and, and most of those contracts that were submitted have an expiration date. They've already expired. So, um, anyway, it's just something that I, I'm excited about. And I'm starting to do more of that, um, but it is a lot of work to call these realtors up and, and follow up. It's it's a relationship. It's not um, it's not something that you can just um, do on autopilot and have a two dollar an hour VA do for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you kind of have to convey the uh, confidence there and and make them feel like that you're able to do you know what you say. <laughs> yeah. So do you got um, just real quick? Because I want to get to Matt, um, do you have any deals that you've done recently that you want to talk about? Well, I'm working on um, working on you know I like I've talked about some new construction type stuff. I'm working on a deal right now. Where I'm trying to get where I could put up four new construction houses. 
Um, and I also looking at a piece um, down by the beach uh, in Virginia Beach by the water, not right on the water, but uh, a little ways away where I can um, put up a, a, unit, a four unit townhouse complex little thing. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Um, looking at a couple items like that, um, and uh, definitely just the regular stuff. Where uh, I went on a uh, meeting, talking to a uh, motivated seller yesterday, and just trying to get that one in the boat for rehab. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of good things working. I'm um, just trying to uh, you know diversify as much as I can and make use of uh, the leads um, that I have, and and uh, you know try to uh, squeeze the most I can out of it. You know, I was just talking. I was on a. I'm on a real estate mastermind with Steve Cook, and um, one of the things he was talking about is he's been doing a lot of new construction lately, and um, somebody else. I forget who it was on the call, and I think they're in the Baltimore area, or maybe Wisconsin. I forget, but they were talking about the rise in new home sales, and uh, I think he said for the first time in a long time, the new home sales in his market has surpassed the uh, foreclosure sales, the bank-owned foreclosure REOs sales. And uh, a lot of people, because there's the demand is starting to rise and increase, depending on your market, a lot of people are looking to buy new homes. Wow. And if, and if you do it right, um, and you got a good system in place, and I'm sure Matt can talk to us about, um, you can make a lot more money building a new home than you can rehabbing a home. And... Um, just well, it's it's very similar, actually, um, because, well, I mean, you're usually going to make your 20 percent or 25 percent or so. But um, it, if you have the system set up, it's a lot easier um, to put on autopilot because it's like, OK, here are my plans. This is the ground. This is what you're going to do. It's not call me because you're not sure which way to lay out the kitchen. Call me because. You don't know um, how much further we want to rip up this floor to see what's going on underneath. You know, it's you have no hidden surprises. Yeah, there's no hidden surprises, and it's uh, you're dealing with really good people um, in new construction because you're not going to get a lot of the um, contractors that uh, need to be paid the second after they get done with work. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's not who, who you're going to be dealing with when you do a new construction. So. Good, good. All right. Well, let's tell everybody, you got to go to realestateinvestingmastery.com if you want to get our fast cash survival kit. It's a series of, it's a set of like five or six videos Alex and I did. We give you crash course on wholesaling, how to do a deal from beginning to end. We give you videos on how to find, hire, and train your own virtual assistants, how to do the right kind of marketing, and how often you should do it, and some other cool stuff. And you can get it for free at realestateinvestingmastery.com. And if you don't like it, what do we do, Alex? We will give you your money back. That's right. So <laughs> go Times <to> 10. Yes. <laughs> Double your money back guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get that, to listen to all of our previous episodes. I mean, we're up to like 40-something now, and I'm looking back at these episodes that we've done, and I need to go back and listen to them because there's some really, really good interviews we have on there. I Maybe also I want to teach you something or oh, two. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I got a, one review I want to read from a guy named Rental22. He says, uh, mastering the deal. Thanks for sharing the extensive amount of scenarios, deals, and tools necessary to understand the real estate market. This is a review in iTunes. I got a five-star review here. 
If there's nice. anything that someone takes away from this comment and your podcast, it's work. There's so much information coming out of these podcasts. No reason to sit on the couch. That's right. Just do it. Going forward with several strategies inspired by your podcast. And for the audience, there are tools mentioned throughout all of these podcasts to get results. So we appreciate that. We like the reviews. Please go to iTunes, leave us a review, and uh, we'll be glad to uh, read it and uh, send you our best wishes after you leave us a good review. So today we have uh, Matt Andrews. And uh, uh, I first heard about Matt just uh, six, eight months ago. Um, he came out with a podcast, Real Estate Freedom Podcast, and he kind of came on the scene. I mean, he's been doing deals for years and years in Florida, um, but he came on the scene. He came out with a, a product about marketing on the Internet for real estate investors, and it's a fantastic product. And he's really brought to attention um, across the country the the power of marketing on the internet for getting buyer and seller leads and um, we all known that you can do that but Matt has really taken that to another level and he's probably the premier expert in the country when it comes to that stuff and we have him on the call Matt how are you I'm doing good guys thanks for having me excellent so um, what part of Florida are you in Matt I am in Tampa, Florida. I was actually raised, uh, born and raised here. So I'm one of the few native Floridians. Most of them come from, uh, you know, the cold <laughs> places. <laughs> so I was born and raised here. Moved around a bit, but came back to Tampa um, in 2000 after I finished school, and uh, just ended up being the perfect place and uh, really being, you know, the right place at the right time for a lot of the foreclosure crisis. Just a few years later. Right. Right, and you also have you have some really good videos on your website. Just while we're while we're while I'm thinking of this, what what is your website where you have all those videos on it, Matt? Yeah, the the website is www.refreedom.com. So it's R E as in real estate. So www.refreedom.com. Uh, we have a podcast there uh, or a link to our podcast there. We've got a blog there and. Quite a few videos there, some training videos, some marketing videos, uh, but all related to real estate and kind of uh, talking about how we do what we do yeah. down here in this market. There are some good videos, and it's not something that just applies to Florida. It applies to any market in the country. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said before, starting to use the Internet um, more heavily and using it effectively to market properties uh, really opens up the door to you know, out of state and international investors, I mean, getting in touch with people. And we can talk, you know, about that a little bit more later, but opening the door to people that you wouldn't normally have. So, you know, we used to sell just to people here in Florida because those are the easy people to reach. Now we're selling to people in Australia and, you know, uh, South Africa just as easily as we're selling to people down the street from us. So it's pretty cool. At a slightly higher price, maybe, than a local investor, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we make a turnkey type product, so it's uh, you know well worth their money to pay a little bit more to not have to come here and become an expert. Now, when you talk about turnkey, do you mean you get it ready to rent and you get a tenant in there and everything? Yeah, a lot of what we're doing, one of our really sweet spots right now is buying properties that are you know bank-owned properties, whether it's through REO brokers or direct-to-bank sources or at auctions, uh, locking those up, buying those, closing them renting them out, stabilizing them, and then putting them in packages of five properties, 10 properties, 15, 20, whatever it hmm. is, and selling those packages to international investors as a completely turnkey 
cash flow generating asset. So wow. you know, normally they'd have to come here, uh, you know, or they have to find a hot market. They'd have to research it. They'd have to move there, or at least spend a lot of time there. Set up rehab crews. Set up property managers. Not to mention setting up how they're actually going to acquire the property, which, as you guys know, is sometimes the hardest part. Um, you know, really getting a good quality property that that there there's some room in. So instead of doing all that, they can basically just buy something that's already generating cash flow, something they can look at and say, hey, here are the rents on these properties. Here's what I can buy them for. Here's my return. There's no gray area here. I'm going to buy these and and uh, cash flow on them. So they don't need to be an expert on it. They can just come in and you know take advantage of the market. And uh, of course, they'll pay a little bit more than they would if they came here to do that. But ultimately, they'll they'll make they'll make out a lot better than if they tried to do it themselves. What type of... Ahead, what Alex. type of numbers on some of these houses um, are you getting, for instance? Like, uh, can you give us a number of one that you did recently? Not not a group of five, but, you know, one yeah. that you bought. Yeah, sure. Well, whether I put them in groups or sell them single, the numbers are really pretty much the same because there's, there's kind of a sweet spot that we have in Tampa, St. Petersburg, Clearwater, Orlando, kind of the central Florida area that a lot of people have targeted. And... We are usually selling properties, as an example, um, an investor would buy a property for, uh, let's say, 55000 That's five five. So 55000 would be their purchase price, and something like that would already be rented for, you know, eight fifty a month, sometimes 900 a month, depending. So okay. it's a definitely good cash flow. It's, you That's know, when all, when all said and done with a property manager managing it at 10% and then putting, you know, taking out some money for maintenance and vacancy. Uh, taking out your money for property taxes and insurance. It's something that will probably make you, you know, 10, 11, 12% on your money in a lot of cases. Wow. The thing I love about that is even if the property's vacant for six months, you're still making 5, 6% on your money, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about real estate. I was looking at uh, my own retirement plans, you know, and, and I'd like to be able to retire and not have to work at all when I'm. 50 or maybe 55, right? And uh, But I'll probably still always work. But anyway, I was looking at the numbers that I would need and how many rental properties I would need to get there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to share my specific numbers, but I was shocked at how few rental properties that you need if they're owned free and clear. Because, free and clear is the key. Yeah, <laughs> because the return on investment is so fantastic. You can't get another better investment anywhere else. No, that's absolutely right. And if you go, if you own them free and clear, um, and you, you don't have uh, money that you're paying on it every month, you're just you know putting away some vacancy and some maintenance. Um, you can do really, really well. And you're right; you don't need quite as many as you would think. No. Um, and that's before you factor in you know possible rent raises in years to come. You know, we haven't really thought about that lately. But you own some properties right now that you hold for 15 years. I guarantee those rents are going to slowly start creeping up and 10, 15 years from now, your return is going to be that much better. So you can't beat holding properties. If you can lock them down right now at the right price, hold them for 10 years. I mean, everybody everybody that's doing that, that's acquiring them right, is going to be very, very happy. Well, what other investment vehicle uh, rises in, and increases in value and in income uh, uh, with inflation or better? Does that make sense? Yeah, pretty much just uh, illegal drugs. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> wow. Matt, do you know something about that you want to share? 
Well, hey, you know, guys, I do take trips down to South Florida, and you guys have seen Scarface. You know what's going on. You know what it's been going on for for decades now. You know, so <laughs> I have the most. That's where the most money's made in Florida. Second to that is real estate, and that's the legal one. So that's the one I've gone into. I have a confession. <laughs> I have a confession to make. Uh oh. My favorite. Uh-oh, my favorite show <laughs> is Breaking Bad. Do you Breaking guys watch that? Bad. No. So good. Oh, don't watch it, Alex. <laughs> You'll get addicted, and it's on Netflix, I think. It's on Netflix. Um, so I just started watching it like six months ago, and uh, doggone it, if, you know, it's the stupidest, most addictive show in the world. It's totally addictive. It happened to me too, Joe, so don't feel bad. I mean, <laughs> completely completely addicted to it. It's and, like and a the, soap opera for guys, isn't it? It is. It's like a man's soap opera. <laughs> yeah. It's a man's show. It's no doubt. And and what other show? I mean, you know, TVs. The writers are getting pretty good at giving us stuff that just engrosses us now. And there's some, there is some really good shows like that on TV. But I don't know another show where you could get about a season and a half into it. And you know, I'm a relatively straight thinking guy, you know. But yeah. a season and a half into that show, and you get really deep into it, you start having thoughts like, well, maybe there is, maybe there is good money in crystal meth, you know? <laughs> maybe it's okay to do that. This guy's just helping his family. (laughs) (laughs) But it gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, so I finally got caught up. It took me a few months um, of watching it on Netflix. And I finally got caught up. And now I think the last final season starts this summer. But um, this isn't a plug for the show. (laughs) (laughs) But you brought up drugs, and I was thinking of the show Breaking Bad. and This show, I, I'm sorry. I've taken your podcast and really just taken it down a bad road here. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Matt, talk about, um, talk about your story quickly here. Like, uh, what were you doing before real estate? You know, were you stuck in a cubicle sure. somewhere, and how did you find out about real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was... Well, like I said, I was you know from Florida. I finished school. I got a degree in psychology. I thought I was going to be a, uh, a child psychologist. I worked with uh, autistic children for a number of years cool. through school and for a couple years after school um, and loved doing that kind of work. I worked with families that had you know autistic and, and Osberger's syndrome um, disorder in their family and uh, Loved doing that, but it didn't take me too long out of school to realize that there, unfortunately, is no money in helping people. Ugh, yeah. what's up with that? Yeah. At least not in that way. So um, I got a job uh, working for a large Fortune 500 company. It was an outside sales for them. Had a lot of success. Long story short, uh, spent a couple years working for them, um, you know, company cars, expense accounts, all that, all that deal. And uh, basically, they were... Uh, without knowing it, they were kind of funding my real estate investing education. So I, I was driving miles for them. I'd be studying different real estate courses. I knew I really wanted to get into flipping properties in some way. That was like 2000, 2001. Um, so I finally did it. I flipped my first property, uh, did everything wrong, took me forever, and I made a, a little bit of money, not much, um, and then flipped a second property, did uh, much less wrong, made a lot more money on that one, and after that rehab, decided to um, go ahead and kick my job and go into real estate full time. What what year was that? That was two thousand one. Okay. So I did my first deal in two thousand, and it was um, you know a deal that I found 
uh, totally old school, you know, the, using methods that you guys know and probably have used at some point in the past. I put out signs to find distressed owners, uh, took a ton of calls, find, you know, found a couple of deals, bought those deals at really good prices, um, fixed them up, and then listed them with a realtor and, and uh, sold them to owner occupants. And right. as I did that, I got a little bit better each time, you know, and then, you know, on that second deal, quit my job, and then I really got serious about that strategy. So that's really what I did from like 2000 to um, 2005, 2006. I mostly retailed properties, bought them, fixed them up, sold them to owner occupants, kept a, a couple of rentals along the way, not a lot back then, um, but as I could, you know, as I made a good profit, uh, my, my costs were pretty low. I was a bachelor uh, for a lot of the time I was building that business. Um, you know, I, I don't have kids, so, you know, didn't have a, a lot of money going out. I was living pretty cheap, had roommates, you know, that type of thing. So I was putting everything back into property. Um, so yeah, I did that till about 2005, 2006, um, and still do a good bit of, you know, buying to, to rehab and retail. But then in 2007, the end of 2007, when the foreclosure crisis hit and really, uh, the beginning of 2008 and into the summer of 2008, I really turned my attention towards, uh, more of a wholesaling effort. Uh, suddenly, you know, deals that I used to have to search months and months to find were just at my doorstep, and there weren't that many investors targeting the area. They didn't. They didn't really know what was going on. Everybody was kind of lagging behind, and uh, me and a few other people here in in this region just started picking up properties at pennies on the dollar. You know, uh, one third, one fourth, even sometimes you know one eighth of what we were buying them for just a few months earlier. Um, so we started buying a lot of those, started flipping a lot of those wholesale to uh, to investors here locally, and really built a good wholesaling business from that. Fast forward a few years later, um, and a few hundred wholesale flips later, we in 2009, 2010, started realizing that what we had here in Tampa um, was starting to get out, and people outside of Florida, people outside of the country were starting to really look at this area as a great investment area. Well, Matt, so, hold on a second, because you're, you're talking about flipping a few hundred properties in 2008, 2009. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I remember, 2010. I remember so clearly back in those days, everybody was fleeing to the hills, getting out of real estate, and saying that you can't make any money in this market. Right. And I, I remember so clearly people just complaining and saying you can't, you make you can't wholesale properties anymore because nobody has any equity in these homes or there's no buyers out there and here you are crushing it in Florida yeah it was uh i mean and it's still a great time here but those couple of years before everybody really knew about it now it's you know wall street journal is coming out with an article about you know florida properties and and phoenix and a couple other markets like that that that's you're hearing that all the time now back then you're right Everybody was running for the hills. Everybody was scared. I mean, everybody had just had their world turned upside down just a year and a half earlier. No one was thinking about real estate. No one wanted to hear about real estate. The news didn't want to talk about real estate unless it was how bad it was and how horrible it was. Uh, but, you know, me and probably, I don't know, 10 other, 10 other operations in, in the central Florida area were looking around at each other thinking, we're buying this stuff for 
you know, thirty grand that rents for eight hundred a month. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and you were we, still you still had buyers for these properties as well. We did, yeah. And and a lot of it came just because we you know, a few of us here, just like people in other markets, you know, just like um, you know, like a lot of people you've interviewed probably in their respective markets, they figured it out maybe a couple of years before some other people did. So we kind of had it to ourselves for a little while and started to kind of grow and cultivate our own buyers out of this new opportunity. I mean, you know, if you would have told me in 2006, hey, you're going to be flipping 10 houses a month in 2009, I'd be like, are you kidding me? You know, it takes me a month to find a decent property, you know, and I got to talk to 100 people that call in off my signs. Um, I just, I couldn't conceive that the banks would be so flooded that they would just literally be giving this stuff to me and I would have REO brokers and asset managers calling me saying what would you like out of this group you know that wow. type of thing so it, it ended up being a you know a total I mean for the foreclosure crisis it was a funny thing because nine ninety nine percent of people who owned a home whether it was investors or just normal people thought real estate was the worst thing in the world yet we were absolutely uh, killing it during that time and creating the desire for this opportunity that, that we discovered. And it was always so funny, you know, kind of like you said, Joe, everybody was running for the hills back then. Everybody was scared. Everybody, you know, didn't know where the economy was going. There was all this uncertainty, uh, like there still is in a lot of respects. But I remember people would come up to, to Lindsay and I and they, you know, they'd say, well, what do you guys do? Oh, we're in we're in real estate. We flip properties and we sell, you know, turnkey properties to investors. And we would always get the same response every time we said we're in real estate investing. And it was like word for word, like they'd all memorize this response. They'd say, "Oh, how's that going?" <laughs> and they would yeah. always say that. That was the response I got every time. Oh, how's You're that going? You're in real estate. Um... Yeah, yeah. Ooh, how's that going? <laughs> and then I would. It, it was almost like I had to convince people. Honestly, guys, it's going really good. You know, don't so... feel. Don't feel sorry for us. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you too is it, it, it doesn't sound like you got caught with your pants down because a lot of investors had a lot of debt, owned a lot of properties. They were over leveraged. They were banking on appreciation. Right. Um, talk about how you avoided that. Well, I, I got to be honest. I wish I could say I foresaw this crisis because I crunched the numbers and figured it all out and realized I shouldn't be over leveraged at that time. Honestly, it was it was dumb luck. It wasn't what I knew at the time. I sold a few properties right before the crash. I mean, literally like a month and a half before the crash really happened. So at the end of 2007, um, I had some mostly multifamily properties that I bought in, you know, 03, 04, which went sky high in 05, 06, and 07, um, almost quadrupled. In wow. value, appraisal value between the time that I bought them in 0203 and when I sold them in 07. Um, so that ended up being the seed capital. And it, had I held on to those, they would have been worth uh, today, they'd be worth, you know, still half of what I bought them for. But then they would have been worth probably 25% of what, wow. I, what I originally bought them for had I held on to them for two months later. So I wish I could say I was a genius, but really I, I just got, um, you know, the. Everything kind of conspired to work for me in that situation. Um, I sold a bunch of those properties. The market crashed while I had that money in the bank, and then was able to use those funds uh, to purchase roughly, you know, eight times more for my money just a couple months later. Wow, so that's really what started that wholesale business, and what gave me the ability to kind of lock down that initial um, 
product that I then would either hold myself or turn into that turnkey product and sell to those overseas investors like I told you before. Good for you. Hey, Matt, was Lee Kearney uh, doing the same exact thing around here? Yeah. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Lee's one of my best friends. And, um, in fact, we're uh, we're getting dinner with him and Megan tomorrow night, actually. Um, good buddy of mine. Wow. Uh, guy is wholesale uh, ten times more properties than I ever have and ever will. Um, <laughs> just absolutely killed it down there. And, honestly, uh, Lee was one of those guys who – and is one of those guys who always kind of figures out – where the smart money is just a little bit before everybody else does. So I, I don't mind telling you that, you know, he's a smart dude. And when I see him heading in a direction um, and I see him, you know, kind of focusing on a certain part of the market, I usually just tend to blatantly copy him. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't mind that at all because usually when I do that, it ends up making him money too. And so, um, you know, well, copying is the most uh, common for form of or highest form of flattery, right? Sincerest form of flattery. That's right. Sincerest. Yeah. There we go. Yep, exactly. So I uh, definitely copied him and, and we we bought and sold, you know, tons of properties to each other over the years uh, when he had buyers that needed something and I had buyers that needed something. So we do, we still do a lot of business. But yeah, Lee was one of the, one of the guys at the forefront of that and um, really was, um, kind of controlling that market down there for a couple of years before you know hedge funds came in and kind of changed the picture a little bit and uh, obviously is still a still a great investor well where is the smart money now matt if you don't mind us sharing with us yeah yeah that's a great question um well you guys first of all let me say i, I love the way you start out your podcast um just talking about you know joe and alex both of you talking about uh, what you've done this past week or what the last deal is that you did you know, there's so much information out there, and there's so many books and podcasts and videos that you can watch, and and so much of it's about, you know, kind of theory on what works in real estate. So, let me just commend you guys. I love listening to a podcast where the first thing is, is hey, here's what I did this past week. I called a bunch of uh, pendings, and you know, here's what I'm getting from that. You know, and kicking up the dust. Uh, here's here here's how that's working. I love that. You guys were talking about what you're really doing, and that's uh. It motivates me. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Right. So to answer your question, you know, the smart money, let's kind of take a look at, you know, 2013 and where we're kind of where we're going in 2013. Awesome. Um, you know, a lot of the hot, hot markets across the across the nation, you know, Tampa and my central Florida area, that's just one of them. And I'm in a couple other markets, too. But, you know, you hear about uh, talk of, you know, some other cities like like Phoenix and you guys probably have a better uh, finger on the pulse of what some of those other hot markets are. Um, but here's what I'm seeing in those hot markets, and I can only assume this will spread um, as those markets start to dry up. Hedge funds are starting to come in and buy up a lot of the easily available inventory um, and a lot of these hot pocket markets. So the stuff that's on the MLS that's out there that anybody could see uh, to grab, the stuff that is at the auction that you can go down there and and purchase um, whether it's at the courthouse steps or in the courthouse itself you know properties you can purchase that way the traditional ways that you can buy properties are starting to get scooped up those properties are starting to get scooped up by these hedge funds and it's definitely making a difference in how people are strategizing to get properties um, you know Lee Carney Alex is a good example he was buying the majority of his properties at the auction until you know, the last eight months or so, when a hedge, when two or three hedge funds came in and decided to basically overpay by about twenty percent on every property, 
uh, and effectively, like, you know, kind of shut that out as a good acquisition source for him and me and a bunch of other people. So those kinds of moves that we're seeing in 2013 are definitely having an effect on how the smaller investors, um, you know, people that aren't large institutional level investors are going to be buying their properties. Um, and so really, you know, what does that mean for us? I think probably people that are using the same old strategies to pick up properties, a lot of people that have been buying properties off MLS, buying properties at the auctions, I think people that are still using those strategies uh, to buy are probably going to have a hard time uh, over the next you know year to two years as these hedge funds really come in. And this is the first time we've seen this, guys. I mean, I know you guys have probably heard a lot about it, but this is the first time we've seen giant institutional investors like this come in and buy massive amounts of single-family homes. And it's happening everywhere, but there was one uh, hedge fund just in Tampa that in the first three or four months, they locked up 800 single-family homes wow. just in the Tampa market in the first few months that they moved in. You know, So the effects of that and where that's going to go in years to come is they rent these and hold these is going to be really um, it's going to be interesting to watch and how it affects the market and uh, I'm sure it'll make some changes and as usual when things change new opportunities open up and people like us find those opportunities and and uh, do it for a year before anybody else does so I love changes <laughs> do you do you think these big hedge funds will start looking into other markets that aren't so hot right now maybe in the Midwest um, yes so do you think that's where they're going next or are they just going to uh you know, once once they've saturated Florida, Phoenix, Vegas, Southern California, will they just get out of the market, or will they start looking in the Midwest? I think I think they are going to start looking in the Midwest, and I think they already started have started doing that to an extent. Um, what's happening? I can speak to what's happening right here in in Florida. Is they've moved in over the last year, year and a half, and and really strongly over the last six eight months here, and we've already started to see, you know, what we kind of see as the sweet spot as investors, we've started to see those prices go up and they're continuing to go up. They're continuing to go up as the hedge funds are buying it. The other investors that want these properties that are competing against the hedge funds are either paying more um, or they're going elsewhere, you know, because these prices are going up. Well, it's also an opportunity if you're a wholesaler to wholesale properties to these big institutional investors, right? Oops. Alex, you there? You guys there? Yeah, we just lost you for a second. I, Alex, are you there? Yeah, are you guys back? Yeah, yeah, we'll try that again. Sorry about that. That's all right. Um, so, Matt, uh, you were just saying that um, this presents a lot of opportunities. I think one opportunity it presents as well for wholesalers who are in these markets is now you have these cash buyers that will buy these properties up, um, you know, at 80, 85 cents on the dollar, right? Absolutely. And in some cases, you know, depending on the market, they'll pay uh, more than that. I mean, sometimes they're paying what it's actually worth right now. Holy smokes. Uh, because a lot of these hedge funds uh, are looking to buy these properties. They're not flipping them. They're buying them and they're holding on to them for like 10 years. So they know right now, hey, if this thing is worth – a hundred thousand. We can go ahead and pay a little bit more if it means we get it. We'll pay one ten uh, to get it right now because we know we're going to hold this for ten years, and in ten years we'll sell it for two hundred thousand. You know, so they're not nearly as focused on 
uh, short-term cap rates and rental, you know, uh, ROI as they are the long-term. Uh, so they're willing to pay a little bit more, and they'll make a little bit less as far as rentals go. So it's it's interesting watching these you know big guys come in, and like you said, it creates you know every change like that creates more opportunities, and for a lot of wholesalers like myself and other people across the nation, definitely a good time to be getting in touch with hedge funds, making some contacts with some you know uh, some of the buyers for these groups, and uh, figure out what you can flip to them because they're definitely uh, one of the best buyers over the next two years for sure. So their idea is, um, and th this would be some kind of a strategy, I guess, if you had a million dollars to spend um, effectively in 10 years, you could say that uh, that million dollars worth of a real estate that you bought would uh, turn into two million? That's, I think that's what a lot of these guys are targeting. And they're targeting the types of properties that will sell for top dollar when lending, when conventional lending really comes back. Um, in a real way, and they're you know they're being conservative, saying, "Hey, if it takes ten years, now what do you mean? What do you mean these types of properties, for example? What are you talking about?" Uh, well, in Tampa, they're targeting the types of properties that will be uh, the bread and butter type properties for first-time home buyers, and um, you know, medium medium income, not the not the high-dollar, multi-million-dollar luxury homes not the bottom of the barrel rent, rental properties. In Tampa, that would be like the properties between 100,000 and 200,000. And those types of properties will most likely in our area be the first types of properties that are able to be financed in a, in a large way eventually. Um, those will be financed, you know, right now in, in Florida, there's no lending at all. Banks don't want to lend here. It's very hard to get any kind of lending, even for, you know, first time home buyers with assistance, even with people with money in the bank. Um, have a hard time getting a second mortgage for a second home. Banks just don't want to lend here right now. So these hedge funds are targeting the types of properties that they think will be basically the first type of property and the first price range that will be financed conventionally on a mass scale. Um, and that's those properties between 100,000 and 200,000. It could be different in other parts of the country. And I'm sure, you know, in California, it's a different price point And the hedge funds that are going in there are probably targeting a different, you know, maybe a four to $600,000 price point. I'm not sure, but that's what they're going in thinking is right now we're going into stuff that can't be financed so that when it is, we'll, uh, you know, we'll stand to benefit on the sale of it uh, exponentially. But they're not, Go ahead, they're Alex. not necessarily buying these at half price though. I mean, that's no, like they're not. They're buying them for what they're worth right now, what they're appraising for right now. Oh, gee. Um, but it's, but, you have to keep in mind, though, they're being purchased at a value that's assigned to them right now that's basically a cash value because only people that have cash in the bank and can buy these outright can buy these right now. Oh, well, yeah, and, and you still have two different kinds of comps. You have retail fixed-up comps and landlord rental comps, correct? Exactly. So they're not buying them at the fixed-up retail buyer comps level, even though they're not fixed-up? Yeah, not necessarily. It's probably somewhere in between. But what right. I'm saying is, is that there's not much of a fixed up retail value right now because no one can get lending okay. in uh, in Florida. <laughs> you know, it's not across the board. There are people able to borrow and and go into homes, but it's not a large amount of people. There are a lot more renters right now, and a lot more people thinking, "Hey, I'm going to rent for the next five years at least," than there are people looking to buy a home right now in this area. Because in areas like Florida and some of these other hard hit markets, you have to remember it. Every other person you know here lost a home. <laughs> Some lost two and three. 
Wow. You know, so a lot of this has to do with um, the bank's reluctance, along with a lot of the uh, the market's reluctance to to even finance stuff again. So right now, you know, unless you really um, are in that the top, you know, few percentage points of of borrowers, you're not getting anything done here. And certainly for investors, um, you're not getting any kind of investor financing unless it's hard money or you know some kind of secondary financing. Banks are just not letting the money go here right now. Now, um, where do you see? There's still a lot of sellers, especially in Florida, and I see this in the, even in the Midwest, Matt. There's a lot of sellers that um, would like to sell their house but can't. Um, they're over leveraged, and they're not behind on payments. They don't want to do a short sale. Um, mm -hmm. So, or maybe they do, but are you still seeing a lot of short sales? Are you doing anything with that? We are, yeah. I mean, here locally, we buy a lot of short sales, um, and and really, we position ourselves. You know, me as an investor, I'm usually the offer that generates the short sale. Okay. So you know, we have marketing that comes to us. Uh, you know, people that um, you know are distressed owners, and if they if they have equity, then it's a source that hey, maybe I'll maybe I'll purchase that property as an investment property. I'll buy it myself. Nine nine out of ten of those people that are in distress are upside down, like you said. So those are definitely short sale possibilities, but we usually have people kind of bring us those deals when they're already a little bit, you know, down the road and they say, hey, you know, we think we can get this short sale done. Will you put in an offer in right. on this property? And so we, we generate. And so we have a pipeline, you know, of, I don't know what our number's at right now. I'd have to ask Lindsay, but we have a, a huge pipeline of short sales. And that's a lot of the inventory that we're getting right now. Some of the best stuff. So we are definitely you, are. Are you negotiating are, um, them? You know, actively looking to uh, to lock up more short sales, and I think it's a great strategy. Are you negotiating those short sales yourself? Did I lose you, Matt? You guys there? Yeah. Yeah, I can. You can't hear me. Hello. No, I hear you, Joe. Uh, you guys there? <laughs> yeah, I hear you, Matt. You there? Yeah, I lost you again. Okay. All right, we were talking about short sales. Yeah, short sales. So we, we're definitely doing quite a bit with short sales. And like I said, we're usually the investor that generates the offer. So we have a lot of people that bring us short sale leads and, you know, kind of uh, short sale leads that maybe they're going to work. We don't have a, a system where we work that ourselves. We basically outsource all the negotiation of that. And uh, we're the offer that, you know, generates a short sale. And, and uh, we're the, uh, the investor that buys it if it's a good price. Good, good. Do you see a lot coming in um, to where it's cheap enough to buy for that good price? Yeah, it's, you know, in, in relation to, you know, the market here has been going up with the kind of, uh, you know, blue collar rental properties that we like to do. So short sales that we locked up six, eight months ago, this has actually been a great strategy for us at the prices that we were wanting to buy them at six, eight months ago. Well, we've seen a little bit of appreciation in the last six to eight months and sometimes huh. they take that long they take that long to close so you know we'll we'll have an accepted short sale from July of last year and I'm working to close that one this month you know and so literally in the in the eight to ten months since that property you know was put under contract um, that property's gone up 15 percent because of the international investors and the hedge funds coming in. So those are some of our best properties right now. We love short sales, so we, we try to have a big pipeline for sure. That's excellent. Can you hear me now, Matt? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, part of the one reason I wanted to ask that is because 
the reason why well, there's there's such a huge demand for housing in Florida right now, but the supply is really really low. Is that right? I mean, before at the worst market, you probably had nine ten months of inventory, mm-hmm. but now you're looking at maybe just a couple months of inventory. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, the inventory is definitely shrunk, and uh, it's you know we're finally starting to run through some of this, and the demand is up so high that that uh, it's keeping that supply fairly low. Okay, so my question that has to do with what about all those properties where the sellers would love to sell their house but can't because they owe too much or they owe just about what it's worth and they couldn't afford a real estate commission? Is there anything an investor can do to uh, work with those kinds of sellers who maybe are upside down a little bit or or maybe just are, are, are right even with the market? What can an investor do with those types of leads? Well, there's a lot of different, you know, creative things that you can do with, uh, you know, with any kind of real estate deal. It just depends on what the goal of the person that's selling it is. Um, you know, if they need to get out of it right away and they're going to lose it, then, you know, there's really not much you can do with with them besides try to negotiate a short sale. So, I mean, that's always a possibility. And you guys know the ins and outs of short sales. You know how that can fail as, as easily as it can be a success. It just depends, you know, and it's uh, it's a grind to get that stuff done. Another thing you could look at, and I haven't done much of this personally, but you know, leads that come in that aren't leads that I could buy right away because people are really upside down. Um, there might be some ways that that an investor could come in as a third party and um, do some type of, uh, you know, some type some type of private financing uh, with that person and get them to sublet their property. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to structure deals. I don't have a turnkey solution for that. Um, I would always go the short sale route first just to see if you can have some debt forgiven and get out of a property. Um, but people that are, you know, just a little bit upside down and able to still make the payment, I mean, renting might be the best option and waiting it out for the next couple of years to let that equity build back up again. I know uh, I know some investors in San Diego and Southern California area right now who would uh, love to take a property that is just they owe exactly what it's worth today mm-hmm. and it just cash flows a little bit they'll buy those things subject to left and right and their their exactly. idea is to hold on to it for a couple years um, and then sell it and just you know they could they could sublease it out to a tenant buyer but their goal I mean the they're, they're, they would love to pick up those kinds of deals. Maybe take it over with some creative financing, subject to or a lease option even, and then just hold it for a couple years. And uh, that presents that could present potentially a great opportunity within two or three years where you could turn around and sell it um, and, and get that appreciation. I just wanted so to bring that up. Buying subject to it like what, 75%, 80%? Is that no, what no. These guys are buying subject to at 100%. <laughs> all right that they're doing that you know it's, yeah. it's 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 just something that you can do with those leads that, where you would normally throw away the seller doesn't want to do a short sale and but it's in a great neighborhood it's still cash flows 100 200 a month and uh you know you could even set that up as a lease option where you tell the seller look if it's vacant i'm only going to cover one or two months rent of vacancies and after that you're going to have to pay it um, you can put that in your contract, but they're tying these properties up that don't have any equity and knowing or hoping that uh, – I'm not saying this is a wise investment strategy, um, but there's investors doing that because that's how the, they feel the market is really turned around in some of these hot areas like Florida and California. 
and they're willing to do that. I could see how that could work. You know, like I said, I mean, creative investors—it's—it's it's endless the strategies that you you know can come up with, and you can certainly lock up those types of deals. Hopefully, that works for them. You know, I—I've I, never tried that, but um, but like I said, depending on the structure of the deal and what the seller really needs and what their what their um, situation is as far as urgency and timing is. There's a lot you could do. So those guys, if, you know, if they've mastered a system for that, they could do really well over the next few years here because they'll certainly have no shortage of people that uh, could use that service. Well, you could also approach a wholesaler like you, Matt, and say, hey, what are you doing with all those leads that you're throwing away that don't have any equity and they don't want to do short sales? Sure. You know, what if you sent them to me? I could wholesale them. You could even wholesale. You get a property under subject to or lease option contract. This is my kind of specialty and my bread and butter, actually. But I'm bringing this up because there's a lot of investors looking at these deals that they're getting, and there's just nothing they can do with them. Right. But you could possibly tie it up on a subject to or a lease option and wholesale that contract to another investor or even a retail buyer um, who can't get financing now and who recognizes, yeah, you know what, I think this market's turning around, and it could really make some money with that if they hold on to it for a few years. I'm taking notes. Okay. <laughs> you should interview us for your podcast. I, absolutely. That's coming next. Stay but, on the uh, line. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there's some caveats in there. You know, you got to be careful. But um, I, I see it as a great opportunity. And, um, but, Matt, we are coming up. Um, we haven't even touched Internet marketing yet. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if you had some more time, we could maybe break this up into two podcasts. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. I can be on for a while yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's. I, I, I'm unless there's something you want to else ask Alex. Um, I do have one more question, but uh, we'll end this here in just a minute. Alex, do you have another question for Matt? No, I think I'm good. I wanted to ask you, Matt, before we before we move on. Actually, what what would an investor? What would you recommend an investor do who's not in one of these hot markets, mm-hmm. like you know, Joe here. Uh, myself. I'm in St. Louis. I don't see these hedge funds coming into St. Louis, buying up these properties yet. Um, I still see a lot of local investors buying a ton of these properties. And I'm sure these local investors don't want these hedge funds to come in, right? right. But, uh, you know, what is a, can an investor, and I wholesale properties virtually, um, can an investor come in and start wholesaling properties in Florida? Or would you recommend you know, go ahead and just stay in your market. Don't don't bother coming here. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think you can definitely virtually wholesale properties uh, in Florida and any other hot market that you want to do a little bit of research on and put some sweat equity into. I, I think this is the perfect time to do that. And I think really the the technology and the tools and you know a lot of the internet um, tactics and tools that I use have finally caught up to. Uh, the idea of virtual wholesaling and, and really made it, um, you know, probably the best time ever to do something like that. And, uh, and and you really can do that. So, you know, if you live in the worst real estate market in the world, um, I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say, and I don't know if this is really bad or not, Topeka, Kansas. Okay, <laughs> I, I've never bought anything in Topeka. I don't know anybody that did. I'm sure I'm offending some <laughs> Topeka people. I'm sure you're all good Topeka people. I don't mean anything personal, but let's say you're there. And there's nobody looking for properties there. It's not really much of a market there. Um, you know, anytime I see that there's no market anywhere, I think, well, why not be the biggest person in a market that's a smaller market? There's a lot of good money in that too. But if you are there and you wanted to target 
um, Tampa or you wanted to target uh, Phoenix or you wanted to target you know some of these other areas that you hear are really hot you can definitely do that you know through uh, virtual wholesaling and I think it's a great um, business to be in does it take some work and some research and and really developing good contacts you know for those areas yeah it does but you really could you know from your desk in Topeka Kansas run a very successful wholesaling business in Phoenix if you set it up the right way um, mm. is it easy is it push button and completely turnkey no it's not nothing is in real estate you know I mean there's rules that you follow but then you you kinda just jump in get your hands dirty and make the opportunity like anything else worthwhile but uh, that's what I would focus on right now you know for people that really don't have uh, much funds as far as capital to you know to bring into um, a new business in real estate uh, and people that don't have a ton of experience I think setting up alliances with other wholesalers in hot markets and then setting up deals with them to be able to move their properties uh, to, uh, to a list of buyers that you would create I think there's a lot of really good money in that and that's a great opportunity for the next couple of years well, I think you're right, um, and that's that's a perfect lead into I think part two of our podcast here because let's talk about marketing, and the cool thing about what you're doing, Matt, is you can do that kind of marketing from anywhere in the world. You could do it from a laptop on a beach in Tahiti, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, that's what's so fun, and that's what's you know that's what everybody wants, right? They want to have a laptop on the beach in Maui, and they want to flip properties somewhere, and then you know close their computer and go surfing for an hour, come back, do it again. I mean, that's the dream. <laughs> well, and it's not hype. You know, it, it really literally can be done. I've I flipped properties from Prague in the Czech Republic. Uh, we interviewed Justin Lee uh, a few months ago in one of our podcasts. He was flipping properties from Panama yeah. in San Diego. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that because you've done some travel yourself quite a bit, actually, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, travel is what Lindsay and I love more than anything else. And so we have figured out how to, you know, a few years ago we said, you know, how do we make our business something that we can really run from anywhere in the world? Uh, because if we can do that, then we can combine the two things we love, you know, real estate and helping people with traveling to beautiful parts of the world. Um, yeah. By the way, Joe, Prague is my favorite city in the world. <laughs> it is my absolute favorite city in the world. I, I, um, my favorite natural area is the is the Greek islands. I love that; it's the most beautiful place ever. My favorite city, though, is Prague. I absolutely love it. And oh. uh, we we flipped properties in Florida while we were in Prague too. So no way. You know, um, we definitely uh, we want to get back there. And we'd love to live there for a summer at some point too. It'd just be great. Oh, um, we were there for two months this last spring, and uh, my son just today said, "Hey, Dad, when we go back to Prague, um, I forgot what he said after that. <laughs> he was talking about <laughs> he was talking about when we go back. Oh, what was it? Oh, yeah, he was saying when we go back to Prague, uh, let's not bring those same DVDs we brought last time because <laughs> they were so boring. <laughs> we brought, we, That's I, hilarious. We have four kids, and he was complaining about because we can only bring so many DVDs and. They got tired of watching them over and over again. So That's hilarious. He's in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and he doesn't have the right entertainment <laughs> for his DVD player. <laughs> that's, 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 that speaks to my, our parenting skills. I no, know. I don't think Gotta so. I think, I think it's just kids in general, man. I, was, you know, I remember you know, my parents would take me amazing places, and I'd want to play video games. So oh. who knows? You know? But, you know, um, it's, but it's yeah, a... you know, Prague we absolutely love. And, and, and so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to 
make our business one that we could run from anywhere. And, um, you know, I don't want to paint a picture like, hey, we just decided to outsource everything and live the four-hour workweek lifestyle and everything was easy. I mean, it takes, like you know, Joe, it takes a lot of planning. Yeah. you got to be very um, flexible and versatile. I mean, when you sometimes just sending a, sending a wire on a deal that you didn't expect that came up while you're out of the country, sometimes just sending a wire is an absolute adventure. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> like finding a compatible banking system and sending that money. I mean, it's like... You know, we've had to we've had to find uh, you know U.S. consulates to be able to to notarize things. I mean, just crazy things like that. But then when you look back, it's it's part of the fun of it too. It's just like, I've yeah, had to just, do that from a cruise ship before. I was in the Bahamas looking for a fax, and then I had to uh, <laughs> pay the uh, cruise ship like it was like twenty five cents a fax. It was ridiculous. Oh yeah, <laughs> for twenty five cents a page, and then when you have a purchase contract that's twenty five pages. <laughs> oh. But, you know. but the point is, it can be done. Yeah, right, it can. But Alex, Alex, that might be the toughest situation though, because when you're on those cruise ships, you're literally shut off from all society. You know. Well, well, they have internet cafes now and stuff, and I don't know. Now they probably have Wi-Fi. I would assume, so you could just have your phone up and running. I, you know, that probably was uh, that was like three, four years ago. But you know, now well, it's probably. But you know, that's the whole advantage of a cruise is being disconnected. But yeah. I bet you they may have Wi-Fi now that, you know, your phone is just alive and well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> With internet. Well, it's definitely, definitely, it's all easier than it was years ago. That's for sure. I mean, it, it was impossible to even think about uh, remote closings just a few years ago when I started in the business. And now, you know, 2012, 2013, here we are literally able to, um, you know, to flip these properties, do everything we need to do. Um you know, from from our laptops, which is which is awesome. So well, like you I can said, even you can even um, uh, uh, notarize documents virtually online. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks to uh, Virginia, Alex. Um, yeah, they 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 allow you to notarize documents online. You get a webcam and you show a notary your driver's license. You know, on the webcam and you sign the document right there. Oh, uh, that's cool. I I need to get that info from you guys because I think we're using a different type of system, but that. What you're doing sounds better, so we'll, I'll get that info from you after the call for sure. Well, I'll just tell you right now, the website is notary.signnow.com. Um, signnow.com is a company similar to EchoSign or DocuSign, but they also have a service where uh, Virginia, just July of 2012, passed a law that they can accept virtual online notaries. And every other state in the union has to accept any notary from any other state, right? And uh, so you can get documents notarized in Virginia. You have to be on a webcam with a real notary, and you show the notary your driver's license. They verify that you are who you are. And you can notarize it electronically right there. And um, it can be done. It's, it's, that's great. It's pretty I'm unique. I'm definitely going to start using that. Yeah, that's awesome. But I can't tell you how cool it is to be in a coffee shop um, drinking an espresso because you can't get brewed coffee in Prague. <laughs> which was, th- thank God there were some Starbucks there, right? But uh, <laughs> I, I like going to the uh, to the fancier, nicer uh, coffee shops overlooking the Charles Bridge, you know, and the castle and the lights, and and sitting in a coffee shop uh, talking to sellers. And it was so funny. I mean, I had to apologize for the noise, but uh, you know, I was talking to sellers about buying their house, doing deals in the most beautiful city in the world, one of the most beautiful cities. Absolutely, and. Uh, it just—it really can be done. It's not hype, 
And I know a lot of people listening to this are thinking, man, I'd love to be able to do that someday. Um, well, you can. You can. And, and we're not here to sell anything, or we're not saying it's push-button easy, that you can get rich quick in this business. But if you really want to do it, you can. And uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, you guys are, you know, obviously both proof of that. I'm proof of that. Um, and, and like you said, you know, is it easy? No, but it, it can be done and it's definitely worth it. You know, just to kind of give you a, a synopsis of how this works, you know, Lindsay and I spent a month or maybe it was a month and a half last year traveling in Costa Rica and Panama. And um, we had, you know, I think eight closings. Um, we, you know, we weren't drumming up a bunch of new business while we were down there because we were there mostly to relax. Yeah. But we had eight eight closings planned for while we were there that we were able to get done while we were on that trip. And, uh, you know, when Lindsay and I travel, you know, we don't have kids yet. So when we travel, it's just like, you know, party. We're like a couple, we're like a couple of hippies with backpacks on <laughs> just doing our thing, you know. So yeah. it was one of those things where we were vagabonding across the country, kind of setting up our trip as we went. And, uh, you know, anytime we could find, uh, you know, a coffee shop or an internet cafe or, you know, uh, one of the hotels we were staying at and just get Wi-Fi for, you know, an hour a day, we could usually get done what we needed to get done. And, um, and it was awesome. Now on that same trip, we went down to Panama for a while and I, I, uh, you brought up Justin Lee. This is kind of funny. I posted on Facebook, you know, some pictures of Lindsay and I, when we were doing a hike and some pictures of us with some monkeys and stuff like that in Costa Rica. And Justin Lee sees the picture and says, Hey, we're, uh, right across the way in Panama. We no were way. really close to them. And um, so we ended up um, hooking up with Justin and Dreama while we were down there who have a beautiful, beautiful place on Red, Red Frog Beach in oh, Panama. Yeah. yeah. And um, just total coincidence that Lindsay and I were staying total at this primitive camping lodge, which <laughs> is not for everybody, but we loved it. You know, no running water. We're staying in these, in these tents. We're sleeping in hammocks in these tents. Uh, right on the ocean. I mean, it's like, uh, it's awesome. We love that kind of stuff. It'd be most people's nightmare, but we love it. And, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but, but after two or three days of that, um, we were really, really, really ready for a hot shower and just like a nice meal. <laughs> like we were basically camping, you know? And, um, and I found Wi-Fi for just a little bit, found out that I was literally like 20 minutes walk wow. from Justin's place. No way. <laughs> down the way on Red Frog Beach. And so we ended up hooking up with them. Um, it was great. They had awesome Wi-Fi. We did two wirings so we could close two properties while we had dinner with them one night. And um, actually, we made some videos that night with Justin, and he was talking about how he had just flipped some properties that same day in San Diego. And and uh, so, I mean, there's the proof right there. You know, Not only uh, can you flip properties while you're traveling the world, but you might bump into other people doing the same thing. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. I, I bumped into people in Prague that were making a full-time income just doing internet marketing stuff. And, uh, you know, they're the guys that you see in the flip-flops at the coffee shops, and you're thinking, what on earth are they doing here? Right. And But they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month uh, doing internet businesses uh, while they travel the world. It, it, exactly. It's awesome. Well, good, Matt. I mean, you've whet my appetite for this next podcast because uh, we're going to be talking about marketing how you do some of your internet marketing and stuff. And uh, again, people, go to refreedom, www.re for real estate, freedom.com. That is uh, Matt's, one of Matt's main sites. And uh, he also has a podcast that uh, is really good, Real Estate Freedom Podcast. 
Um, I'm jealous of your graphics and the way your website. It looks really good, Matt. Oh, it's, thanks. It's, it's better than ours. But I won't talk about that. Maybe we need a <laughs> facelift, Joe. I know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, who designed your – maybe we can tell us afterwards, Matt, who yeah, designed yeah. your well, website. Yeah, well, I'm happy Probably to share my cat, wasn't Yeah, it? got some great guys. Was, was it Crazed Cat? It wasn't, actually, but oh. I, I, um, I know those guys, and those guys are great. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. We should uh, – you know, nothing's wrong with our website, but maybe we just need new pictures of you and I, Alex. We need to spiffify it. <laughs> spiffify. Oh, I'm going to write that word down. That's a good one. <laughs> that's, a new, that's a new word from Alex. But maybe we can title the podcast that. Well, I was going to use another word, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Spiffify. The Spiffify podcast. You were, you were talking about Topeka, Kansas, and I was thinking of that song, Carry On My Wayward Son. Yeah. And uh, I love that song. It is a good song. From Kansas, and I think That's they right. were from Topeka. <laughs> That's but, right. So, okay. So uh, I'm sorry if I offended any Topeka people. I should probably come buy some properties there now. <laughs> I'm sure you can cash flow pretty good deals there. I bet um, there are some good ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk soon. Uh, everybody <laughs> go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get our Fast Cash Survival Kit. Go to iTunes to leave us a review, please. We appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon. See you guys. Thanks, Matt. See ya. Thanks, Alex. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more